Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, but real quick before we get to them, I have to tell you about Certified Piedmontese because this is a brand I am so excited about. In fact, I will never forget the first time I had Certified Piedmontese. The crown jewel of my initial visit to Casa Bovina was a beautiful rib cap that was so lean and tender, it was almost silky in texture. The moment that beef hit my taste buds, I was hooked. These animals are raised all natural on a network of family ranches across the Midwest, so Certified Piedmontese is able to cut out the middleman and buy directly from the source. And while I highly encourage you to check out Casa Bovina, you can savor this beef at home, too. Whether you order off Piedmontese.com or by calling one 800 414-3487, your purchase will be shipped directly to your front door. Plus, when you use my discount code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, you get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. And now, to my guest. Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into the first ever live episode of the Restaurant Hoppin' Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin', and we are here live at Hale Varsity Club, just off 132nd Jobs. We have some awesome people who have chosen to give in their night and come out and attend this live podcast and put up with seeing my ugly mug for the next hour. But they're not here for me. They are here for this wonderful person. This is Michelle Alfaro. She is the owner of Sauce by Alfaro. She is a extremely talented chef. She is an extremely uh, good restaurateur, and she is one of the sweetest people I've ever met. Michelle, you've been on the show once before, but this is a live setting. This is something new, and we have a lot new to talk about. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, everyone, for coming out. So also, it is, or it recently was, the two-year anniversary of Sauce by Alfaro. So congratulations on that. Does that even feel possible, two years already? No, not even. No, it went by really, really quickly. So Cinco de Mayo was our two-year, and we're happy to be here and, and still cooking. Yeah. For anyone who's not been to Sauce by Alfaro, first of all, change that about your life. And this is how you can do that. Go to downtown Papillion. Uh, Sauce is located right off Washington Street. It is a small restaurant, but you can place your order in Sauce. And if it's really busy, you can go next door to Twisted Vine. You can have a drink there. And uh, while you wait for your food, it's fantastic. So I want to shout out to Twisted Vine for being awesome and and sharing their space as well. Yeah, absolutely. We also have a patio now, too, that's open up with the nicer weather. So that gives us an additional 34 seats um, on top of the 14 dine-in that we have. And then with Twisted Vine's patio and their capacity and their establishment, it's really a nice uh partnership that we have between businesses, two local businesses supporting one another. I love it. You can't beat that. So... For anyone who has not been to Sauce before, how would you describe your style of food? <clears throat> I would say Sauce is really about taking items of familiarity and elevating it to new levels. So you can have a cheeseburger anywhere, but at Sauce, you're going to get a burger that comes straight from the butcher. It's fresh. It's never frozen. It's made to order every single time. Um, and there's no par cooking of it. You are going to get fresh, juicy, well-plated balanced flavors um, throughout. And the same with our chicken tenders. Those are hand-breaded every single day, fresh and never frozen. So we just have a really high level of dedication to quality and standard, and that's going to take it to new places that maybe um, you don't experience everywhere. 
I found a quote from you. I believe this was in the Omaha World Herald, but you said everything, oh, everything is made for you like I'm cooking at my house. Yep. I absolutely love that. I think that could be the tagline. Put that on the T-shirt yeah. right now because that perfectly describes what your food tastes like. Awesome. Yeah, that is. It's a, a lot of it is like cooking for my family. Like I want to make sure that when people eat it, it meets our mission, which is to bring joy to people through food. And we only do that by having a dedicated integrity in our food so so we have a lot to talk about today this is going to be a really fun conversation i think but i want to start off with a couple food items right off the bat and one is something that our our live audience here is enjoying and that is a version of your bang bang shrimp tacos which once somebody has a bite of those they are hooked on sauce they they become sauced advocates i would say what was the origin behind that dish and did you ever imagine that it would be like the the cult phenomenon that it became i know no it's such an honor that people choose to go to sauce and that they enjoy the food as much as they tell us they do but bang bang shrimp tacos was literally born because i love to have as little waste as possible in our kitchen right and i had shrimp left over and i needed to use them and i said i'm gonna put them in a taco and so we hand breaded these tacos and i and i built it and I wanted purple cabbage because it has to be pretty and all these things. And it just kind of isn't in, it's integral to the build, right? Where you have your crispy green leaf lettuce and then this slaw that's got the bang bang sauce on it. And we hand bread every single shrimp. Last time we did a bang bang taco day, we had to hand bread like 3,000 of them. Because you sold a th- almost 1,000 tacos, right? Yes, 997 of yeah. them. So it, it, they're, they're kind of a big deal to people. And then we make that sauce and, and they get garnished with scallions and, and black sesame seeds. And it just, it looks beautiful, but it, it's different than any other shrimp taco I've ever had. And I think that was the mission. I had something I needed to use and I created something and then the people loved it. And because they loved it, I kept making it. So those shrimp are absolutely excellent on their own. But the thing that I think really blows my mind about that taco is the shell itself. Like it's it's kind of like a hard shell, but then you bite into it and it gets like, it has a really nice chewiness. It's just so unique. I don't really even know how to describe it to people. It's something that you bite for the first time and you're just kind of like, whoa, I'm not kind of, I'm not quite sure what I just experienced it. I'm really liking it. It's a certain temperature and a process for making it. So, you know, it's kind of weird to say that it gets massaged in the oil, but it really does. Like you have, you have to do it a certain way and spend the time to to flip it and drain it and they get drained more than two times you know it's it's the initial drain and then another and then it gets plated and all of that so it's it's just um again part of the process of making it stand out but yeah that is part of it we want it to be where you get that crunch when you first bite into it but you get the chew of a flour tortilla that you that you enjoy Mm mm-hmm now, this is one of those items at Sauce that when you, it's not on the menu all the time. It would probably drive you guys crazy <laughs> if it was. That'd be a lot of work. But when it is on the menu and you put it on social media, it's going to sell out. That's something that you know. And a lot of your menu items will sell out. There will be days where it'll get to, you know, 7 o'clock and you'll put on put out a message on social media that says, hey, guys, sorry, we're, we're sold out today. Yeah. And I think sometimes that frustrates diners because they're like, no, I was set on getting sauce today, or this could go for any restaurant, mm-hmm. and and now I don't get it. But what you've described so far, you're hand-breading shrimp, you're hand-breading chicken tenders, you're forming these beef patties yourself. Like, this isn't, 
like you can just go back to the freezer and grab another, you know, bag right. of burger patties and, and throw them on the griddle. Like this is all done ahead of time. You simply cannot make this stuff on the spot. Can you maybe just explain that a little bit more just to help diners understand why sometimes restaurants sell out? And you know what? That's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Especially at Sauce, we have such a small facility. Um, so we have to be really conscientious of how much we're bringing in, where we're going to store it, how much we can prep, staying dedicated to our things. We could make them and freeze it and do that, but I don't want to do that. And I refuse to do it. I could do all kinds of things to make it easier and not take as long. And I could do all kinds of things to make it where we have plenty to go through it. But my commitment is to my customers and the people that are coming in and spending their hard-earned money to enjoy their dinner. And because of that, I take the time to make it fresh and I take the time to endure the labor of that. And my team takes the time to endure the labor of that. And my husband takes the time to endure that as well. Shout out to Joe. He's got some amazing knife skills. And, you know, we, we all work together because we really believe in the end product. And being committed to that helps me make sure that my customers are satisfied. And we, it might mean we sell out occasionally. But I would say we're, we have um, learned a lot over the last two years, which means we have learned the capacity for prep. So we are selling out less and less on Wednesday through Friday. And typically Saturdays are the day that we are more likely to start selling out of items because um, it's the last day of the week for us and we're not back until Wednesday. And so. Well, you can taste all that extra effort in the food and it's worth like if I say I have to take, you know, some extra time off for lunch today so I can get there at 11 and ensure I need to be there. This is a restaurant that's worth doing that for. Like take take PTO to go to (laughs) Sauce. It's worth it. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, There's one other menu item that I have to ask you about and it is and has been for about eight or nine months well maybe not that long maybe six or seven months whatever the background on my phone from the first time that i had it this is your nashville hot chicken sandwich and it is one of the single best food items i've had in omaha it it it's incredible because so many like nashville hot has become kind of a craze yeah and every restaurant wants to do their iteration of it but so many places just take fried chicken and then you know, dump some hot sauce on it, Frank's Red Hot, whatever it might be, and then they call that their Nashville Hot. Yeah. That is not what you've done at all. You've created something totally unique. You've created your own specific dredge. You've created your own Nashville Hot oil. How did you develop this specific recipe to kind of help you stand out from all these other iterations of the Nashville Hot Chicken Sandwich? The first thing I did when I wanted to start developing a Nashville Hot is I started looking into the history of the Nashville Hot Sandwich, where it originated from obviously in Nashville, but how, I guess. So I read the background story of that, and that was really interesting. And if you haven't looked at the Nashville uh, hot sandwich history, I highly recommend if you like some drama. But um, it's just really interesting how that that came about. But for me, it's got to be a little bit more than about the heat uh, when you're doing it. So I was like, I need a little bit of heat. I need a little bit of sweet. I need a little bit of smoky. And I just kind of played with the spices and when I did that and I found something that I liked and I was like I think this will be good and we had perfected our hand breaded tenders which took us a long time to get to that perfected recipe that we just knew that that was exactly how we wanted it and it just sits so you've had it it sits so well in the nooks and crannies of that chicken and it just 
it's so good and it's so different. And I'm like, um, and then I make a hot honey aioli and those sweet bread and butter pickles. That's not traditional of a Nashville hot sandwich. So I wanted to have a be a little bit different. And this Nashville hot, it's going to bring some heat, but it is palatable when you first start and it builds. It's not something that's going to knock you out so that you want to just finish it because you spent money on it. You're going to want to finish it because it tastes good and, and just spent money on it. You know what I mean? Like it's it's both. You get the best of both worlds on mm-hmm. It is, it's one of those things, like, when I go to restaurants, I almost never order something that I've gotten before, because I, I want to try more things, I want to experience more of the menu. When I have come into Sauced on subsequent visits, it's just like, yep, I know what I'm getting. There's there's just no question, because I love this sandwich so I much. I love that. How many iterations of the sandwich, like, did you go through before you developed your final product and you felt comfortable with it? Two or three Wow, you just knew. I just knew I needed it to be different. And so I knew going in after reading it that I wanted to hit on those elements that I talked to you about. And I just had to adjust the balance of it and got there. So one of the things I would say sauce is most well known for is just finding these flavor pairings that most other chefs and restaurants wouldn't even dare to think about. And you pull them together, and they sound crazy on a menu, but they work. So we're talking about, like, um, screwball whiskey peanut butter sauce and bourbon blackberry jam, uh, salted caramel sauce on chicken tenders. For brunch, you've had a Grand Marnier and Car Car orange French toast. Oh, yeah, that's good. These are wild combinations. But see, that reaction right there, like, you're remembering it. How, how how do you even make these pairings in your head to say, I'm going to take whiskey and peanut butter and put them in on a burger? Or how am I going to take orange and Grand Marnier and put it in French toast? Where, where does this come from? I'm always hungry. <laughs> always hungry. So well, I'm me too, thinking. but I can't come up with this stuff. <laughs> no, I really think, I think that particular gift is my, is a gift from God for me. Um, I, I really can't explain it any different than that. Like I, I feel like, you know, just like there, an artist is good at different forms of artistry. I feel like that's the blessing from from God for me is that I've just been blessed with this gift of of cooking and flavors, and I'm just feel very lucky to be able to use that gift. Um, but yeah, I like to take things like I said, of familiarity and, and elevate them. So we've all seen peanut butter burgers on menus all over the place, but I I. I told my husband, like, I refuse to smear peanut butter on a bun and call it a burger. Like, I needed to do that. And I like booze. So um, so I, I'm like, I put, put the booze in with my sauces. And it just kind of kind of worked. And that was my thing, right? Sauced. Because I'm a dad joke and a mom body. And I was like, I like the pun of, hey, let's get sauced for dinner, right? That sounds like kind of boozy, right? So I'm like, how can I can I do that with booze? Because I have my bourbon barbecue and my bourbon honey mustard and all of those other sauces. And I'm like, screwball, peanut butter whiskey, perfect. That'll go good. And I just played with it until I got to the consistency I wanted. And I knew that I needed a little bit of sweet with a little bit of heat. And then I came up with the jam and... It was a jam, I guess. That's good. You talked about having a gift for being able to pair flavors. Is that a gift that you've always had, or have you kind of felt that develop as you've, over time? Yeah, it's what got us. <laughs> I would say I hook, lined, and synced him with my cooking. Um, 
So I think I think I've had that gift. Um, I watched my dad cook a lot and and saw him in the kitchen. And my dad is one of those people that he can throw it in a pan and make it taste good. He just has that ability to do that. And so I guess um, that kind of ran over onto me. And then I just, yeah, I just kind of have always done that. And even before I was cooking and when I was working for the city and all of that, I would still make dinner and like plate it for him and pretend like I'm on a cooking show or something. Even I'm a totally grown adult. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I just I've always been very interested in flavors and cooking and, and passionate about food. I just never thought I'd have the opportunity to do it for other people, which is really cool. It is really cool. And we're going to get more into your background. But I have to know, and I apologize, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but I have a feeling you're going to be able to come up with an answer pretty quickly. What is your favorite, like, weird flavor combination that you've put together and had it work? Like, you had an idea in your head and you're just like, ooh, I don't know about that, but I have to try it. And it came out great. Okay, so two popped to mind. Okay. One would be my Bing Bing Brussels, um, which people have have fallen in love with they they absolutely love those that was um i was tired and hungry and i needed just something quick to eat so i threw it together and i was like wow that's really yummy and then my team tried it and they were all behind it and i think the other one that pops to mind is my um butternut squash alfredo that sounds a little strange but it's really not and i made this creamy alfredo with butternut squash cream sauce and then on top of that, I made some um, Italian sausage with Calabrian chilies and some um, walnuts that I had toasted and made a crumble out of that with some Parmesan and parsley and all of the things. And and it was just really, really good and different. What is that feeling like when you just nail it? Like you, you've tried to make a dish a couple of times and you don't know if the flavors are going to work, but then when you taste it, you're just like, yep, that's it. What is that feeling? It's. Man, it is. I think I lost my sound. Oh, there it's back. Um, for me, it's just like an internal cheer, sometimes external. And I like, I kind of do a little fist, an Italian fist bump or something like that. Or I, I do awkward dances, you know, things that aren't fit for camera. <laughs> probably. Um, I do those things, but it's like, I just get excited. It's just like when you win at sports or you to serve or something like you just get amped up and pumped and you're ready for people to try it and and say something about it like it's just super fun and cool Mm -hmm. so we've talked a lot so far about food but it's been burgers and chicken sandwiches and soup and and even pasta like these are obviously awesome food but not like something you would go to like a fine dining restaurant and expect but i want to make it clear you make some spectacular fine dining food as well. And we got a chance to experience that a couple months ago. Uh, I was at a dinner that, that you did a, a five-course um, tasting menu for. And we're talking like birria braised oxtails, champagne deviled eggs, a butternut curry or butternut carrot squash soup. Uh, that probably no butternut carrot curry soup i can't even read my own notes but one of the most memorable dishes on that menu was the mushroom risotto and there was a photo of that that went viral and it was seen by christina wilson who was the season 10 winner of hell's kitchen and is now the vice president of culinary for gordon ramsay's kitchen so kind of a big deal to quote your facebook post about it, you said i had a fangirl moment 
died for a second, yeah. came back and squealed again. Yeah, I absolutely did. I did all those things. <laughs> that was true. <laughs> How did you discover Christina's post and like, what was that moment like for you? I opened my Instagram and it had a blue check mark by her name. And I said, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. She just did. So I, yeah, then I died. And then I came back to life. I was resurrected. And um, I was like, that's crazy. Not only did she like it, she commented fire, flames of fire. And I just felt like, wow, that's crazy. We've all heard Gordon Ramsay go nuts over a risotto. So I figured like she can tell, you know, maybe it looked like a good risotto. It was awesome. But yeah, so fun. Fun to do that. Did you reach out at all or did you just, you just kept it internal? You know what? I made a comment on my photo that was like something along the lines of maybe I'd get to make it for her some, her and Gordon someday, like just kind of like shooting my shot, I guess. And she commented on it and I just thought, so she saw it and that was crazy. Yeah, no, but I didn't, I didn't like write her or anything separate. Yeah. That's good. Just keep it cool. Yeah. This happens all the time to you. You don't have to make a big deal of it. I'm so good at keeping it cool. Right. Yeah. Me. <laughs> I mean, that that risotto, though, it was so creamy. The texture was just spot on. And we had a couple diners that night, a couple pickier diners, who, when they were looking at the menu and they saw mushroom risotto, they were like, ah, we don't like mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And they ate the whole thing. Like they, did. They, they, yeah. they just hadn't had mushrooms prepared the right way yet. Oh, that's And awesome. now they have. Love that. Hey there, listeners. We'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I got to remind you one more time about Certified Piedmontese. There are certain moments in your life that are so remarkable, you'll just never forget them. I distinctly remember the first time that I watched LeBron James play basketball and the first time I saw the original Star Wars. The sheer awe I had in those moments changed the way I look at basketball and movies, respectively, moving forward. The same goes to steak, thanks to Certified Piedmontese. The rib cap at Casa Bovina is so rich, decadent, and fork tender that it is seared into my brain. But you don't have to dine at Casa Bovina to have that same life-changing experience. This beef is so delicious, even the average home cook can look like a superstar using these steaks, roasts, and ground beef. Trust me, I know from experience. Check out all the options on CertifiedPiedmontese.com and use my promo code HOPPEN. H-O-P-P-E-N, for 25% off your order. It's time to start creating new beef-centric memories that'll stay with you forever. And now, back to my guest. Um, We are at the point in the podcast where I want to give somebody in the audience a chance to try a sauce if they haven't. Okay. So I'm going to do a gift card drawing. We have been taking uh, raffle tickets from everyone, and I'm going to reach in here. And hope that the person's handwriting that I draw is good enough for me to read. Oh, this is uh, Faith. This is my sister. I promise no ne- no nepotism here. I, I swear it, it is. That's, that's just what I drew. Awesome. Faith, I will, I will get you your gift card afterwards. Oh, I'm so excited to cook for you. Awesome. I have failed you as a, as a brother and as a family member. That you have not been yet. We're going to have to talk off air about that. Damn. <clears throat> Sorry. I, I, I deserve whatever tongue lashing I get. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so we should, like I said, uh, you came on a podcast with me previously. It was about a year ago. I think it was last March. Wow. 
And we shared a lot of your story on that first podcast. And I would encourage anyone to go back and listen to that to get the full story. But I do want to touch on it a little bit because not very many people go from city planner to badass chef in like such a short amount of time as you did. And it all started with salsa Mm -hmm. and a dream to send your son on a mission trip to El Salvador. So that's true. Can you tell me you needed to raise $15 or $1,500, not $15, $1,500. So you'd be able to go on this trip. Yeah. How did you come to the decision that how am I going to get this money? Oh, I'm going to sell salsa. That's going to be his ticket to El Salvador. Right. I know. So we had made the salsa for years. Um, Jose's dad, or dad, mom, taught me how to make salsa. And when she did that, I was like, I, I learned the technique and the flavor. And I changed just very little about it to, to add some seasoning and stuff to it. And we knew it was really good. And our friends always loved it. And they always wanted the recipe. And for some reason, I was very protective of that recipe. Um, and I never shared it. And we just knew that we needed to raise this money so that uh, Tanner could go to El Salvador. He had a heart to go on this mission trip. And I think we were just like, how can we make it happen while well, he's got this heart, this fire for God to go? And so we... Um, we're like, I'm, I'm going to see if I can sell some salsa at work. And I went to work and we sold like $700 in a day. And I was like, wow, what a blessing. That was huge. And I was, I at that time, I was the Zoning Board of Appeals Administrator for the city of Omaha. And I was literally writing a report just like this at my desk. And I just felt the calling of God to tell, telling me to contact Hy-Vee and see what it would take to get my salsa in there. And I thought, this is really weird. I've never done anything like that before. Um, But I called and it just so happened that the director was available at that very moment. And he talked to me. I told him the story. He's like, you know what, if it's that good, I want to taste it. And a day and a half later, I made salsa. And I was just like, girl, this better be the best salsa you ever made in your whole life. And I took it to them and they said, that is the best salsa I've ever had. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. They said, we want it in our store. And I said, wow, that's crazy. And then (laughs) we went and we had to find a a commercial kitchen to make it. And I had to get licensed and all that. So I did. And we found this little restaurant in Louisville that was only open till two. And we went in and she was a woman of God. And she loved the story. And she was like, you can use my kitchen. She prayed about it for a while got back to us. And then I would work and we, he would work and we would go down and we'd be there for, I mean, till like two, three in the morning, manufacturing the salsa, delivering it to Hy-Vee, going back. And then within six months, I think we were in 13 to 14 Hy-Vees in the Omaha area. And it was time to commit to the Lord and let him establish our plan. And we did. And I put my notice in and said, Goodbye, benefits. Goodbye, sick time. Goodbye, vacation time. And I said, we're going to do this. And and we did. And we got, that's how we started, 2018. Now, it's easy, well, maybe not easy, easy for me to say, but to, at this point, to see how everything's worked out and the su- success that you've had, and to look back on it and say, man, what a home run of a decision. That was so smart. What did it feel like at the time? Oh, all the feels. It was like... You were thankful 
and you were faithful and you were excited and then you get the worry and the anxiety and all the things about the time that the first bills are due um, and you're now self-employed and it's like, whoa, and nobody knows who you are or what you're doing or any of those things. So there, it was all the feelings throughout the, the whole thing. And then, you know, when you, when you do decide to, um, accept what you feel like you're being called to do and you start working for God and you do all those things, there's always challenges that come in, right? It's never is a straight road like there's these hills and valleys and all these things that you have to go through and we went through it the muck the yuck all the things and the salsa business that we started we closed mama shells you know we started doing um pop-ups and farmers markets and take-alongs where people would get like family-sized dinners and take them home because they were on the go and that way they'd have a home-cooked meal that they just pop in their oven and it just wasn't um sufficient and so it closed and then I was like okay and I applied for a a job I was approached for a job for another city planning position and I had applied at another job that was going to be restaurant experience and the waitress and and I made it to the final round of the city planner and I didn't get it I had my prayer was close the door that's to be closed and it was and I went and I was a waitress and I was like if I'm going to have a restaurant someday I better know how to run some of the things that I've never done before. So I was there and I was a sponge and I was a waitress and I became a manager and I handled the bar and I learned all of the intricacies of that position. And I think it equipped me for what was coming in the future, you know? So you mentioned you've always loved food. You've loved creating flavors. And then, you know, as you got a chance to take this, this position as a waitress, you were thinking forward, like thinking restaurant. Mm-hmm. When did that idea of having your own restaurant first enter your mind? And maybe not even just as a pipe dream, but like a realistic thing where some, it was something you were striving for. 2019, I think. So the salsa oh. bill business was still running. Yeah. What, what put that in your head is something that this is a goal I'm going for. When I started doing the pop-ups and actually cooking food for people and having them be like, wow, that's great. We were cooking at the Papillion Farmer's Market in the park and people were lining up before the farmer's market opened and they would line the, the sidewalk there and we would sell out to the point where the farmer's market administrators had to push our tent back because people were filling the sidewalk and couldn't get to other vendors. And it was just like, oh, okay, I guess they do like this. You know, it's possible that that I could do it. So yeah, that was the first time probably that I was like, I think I can do it. So you take the waitress job and there's so much that you have to learn about a restaurant. Like like it's one thing to be able to make great food, even be able to make food at scale that you can do a pop-up or you can do a farmer's market or something. But there's so much more to learn about being a restaurateur from hiring employees to buying supplies to paying bills to uh, training front of house to managing rent. Like there's so many other aspects that have nothing to do with food mm-hmm. as you're in this waitress job how are you using that as an ability to just soak up all this other knowledge and learn all these things that you don't know yeah i just went in with that intent like i just knew that i was being equipped because even though i wasn't doing what i felt i was being called to do 
I had still had the faith that it was going to happen. I still was trusting throughout the process. So to me, I was just being conditioned and trained for what my future would be whenever that was going to happen. And so I went in every day and and I worked hard for that company and I worked hard for, for what God was preparing me for. And, and I still to this day look back at that and think I use it you know, what I learned in, in my current, and I'm still learning. I think that's a really important thing. Like I definitely don't know it all, not even close. And I think once, um, you own a restaurant, like you have to be accepting of not knowing everything so that you can adapt and learn and move. And once you think you know it all, then it's downhill. I feel. What do you think? If we can be quoted on that downhill. (laughs) Thank you. We'll absolutely quote that. Awesome. What do you think was the most important or one of the most impactful things that you soaked up at that uh, at that other restaurant that has allowed you to be successful now? Building a team. I would say that's it. Um, because without a team and the support that I need, it, it, I can't do it on my own. So I feel like um, building a team from, they had a very, very small team of five to seven people and I think we built it to 21 to 23 and just connecting with people and and customers I still have relationships with several of the members from there that come to sauce and support us here and I think just having the ability to develop a team and relationships with people is was one of the best things I learned from there um because yeah without it's just like the best asset of your business is your team, man. Like you've really got to appreciate your people and understand them and be there for them and, and all the things. So in turn, they do that for you. So I'm skipping ahead a little bit. We'll, we'll come back, but like, as you're building your team at Sauced, what were some of the lessons that you took from that experience and incorporated that into, okay, I know that building a team is super important. Here's how I find my people and create this cohesive team that I know I need? Oh, that's tough. Um, I would say, I would say, ask me that again. I'm not sure I Well, <laughs> the question. It was clearly, like you said, that was like the most important thing you learned that I need, if I'm going to start a restaurant and be successful, I need a great team around yep. me. So as you're starting sauced and you're assembling your team, uh-huh. like, how did you, what, or were there certain qualities that you looked for or yeah. certain things on an application where it was just like, I need this person to have this? How did you build your team, basically? So I did it very casually. Just like we're having a conversation, I would just meet with them and have a conversation with them. I want to hear and see their passion. It can be more than the paper that they're submitting as their resume. And, you know, here's the deal is I had applied for many places to be a chef and was either told you're not a real chef because I'm not culinarily trained. Um, You're not just because you can cook doesn't mean you should open up a restaurant, Michelle, like all of these things. But I really feel like passion and ability being willing and able to do the things that you're setting out to do is, is more important. If someone came in and said, I love food and I love to cook, but I'm not professionally trained. But they have a desire to be there and a willingness to be there and they have an ability. I feel like you can train anyone and mold them and build your team that way. I don't think just because you have a culinary degree, it makes you better than someone that doesn't. Not taking away from anyone that has it. That it's it's an awesome asset for them to have that. But, you know, I just feel like 
getting to know them casually and personally was how that worked for me and benefited us in building our team. I've talked to a lot of chefs, including many that I've had on this show, and, and they've said it like they would rather have somebody who's totally green and maybe has a little experience in the restaurant industry, but doesn't know a lot over someone who comes in with 20 years of experience or whatever, because that person who's new is more likely to be malleable. They're going to work super hard. They're going to soak up everything you have to tell them. They don't come in with any preconceived notions or thinking this is how it should be done. They are ready to just take on whatever you want to instill in them. And obviously each restaurant and each chef has their own personal touch that they want to put on things. Right. Now to those people who said that a home cook shouldn't open a restaurant or that you weren't ready to be a professional chef, do you have anything to say to them? Are you too nice to do that? You know, I think what I would say is not to them. I would say it to anybody that's in the same position as I and be like, don't let other people hold you back. You are responsible for your actions and what you get out of yourself. And just keep believing in yourself and, and run with it and go for it. And eventually someone's either going to believe in you or you're going to do your own thing and 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 show them that. So, you know, I would say in a way it's a motivator that their negativity put on me to turn it into something positive. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't acknowledge that uh, to them with my success. I don't wish anything ill on them. That was how they felt and that's fine. But I would encourage the people that are like me that maybe have a desire or passion and, and encourage them to go for it. That is incredible perspective, and you are a far better person than I. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Uh, how long were you at the the restaurant um, as a waitress? And then you mentioned you you moved up the the chain there. How long were you there? Gosh, about a year ish, maybe a little less than. I don't quite remember. Oh, and what was it about when you left that made you feel like I'm ready now? Just the timing. The, the timing of how it was coming coming at me and being presented to me, I was like, okay, I think this is it. I think it's the time. And, and, I, and I went for it. And then it wasn't. It wasn't the time to do it. And we, you know, we went through, through some stuff. And so I went back, but I didn't go back to that job. I was applying for other chef positions and I, I just couldn't snag a job. And so um, later the same opportunity in the same location presented itself and and I took it and and we went for it and here we are. Well yeah, tell me how that came together because you ended up in in the in the back of a a bar in Louisville, Nebraska. You know, obviously not ideal conditions, but this was you getting to open your restaurant. How did that come together? Yeah. Um so they had a kitchen um at the back of a furniture store that was connected to a bar that did not have a kitchen. So we had a kitchen prison. It was basically <laughs> cylinder block walls that had equipment in it. And it was in a small town. They needed food really bad, something there that that they could enjoy. And so I was like, this is a perfect opportunity that did not require me to establish an entire restaurant and make a huge investment. I just needed what I needed to run it. And we, to this day, have never taken out a loan or a credit card or anything for this business. We have operated solely 
in pursuit of what we felt God was calling us to do. And he has provided this whole time. And it was a great way for us to learn and educate ourselves on what we can cook, how long it takes, how to get it out, what, where our strengths were, where our weaknesses were. It helped us identify all of those things. And in that year, we grew so much and we started to get a following. And then Papillion opened, which was where we wanted to be from the beginning. Craziness. And so that gave us 14 dine-ins each, which was 14 more than we had. And I was like, perfect, baby steps, because sometimes when you take the baby steps, you still get to your designation. It's just a little bit slower, but it's also a little bit less risky. And I was happy to take the less risky approach when my family was depending on that, um, as opposed to going all in and possibly not having the knowledge and the strength that I needed as an entrepreneur to do it. Well, I, I want to back up a little bit before we get to Papillion because you talk about you're cooking in a prison kitchen in the back of a bar that's in a it in a in a, like a furniture store. Like these are wild conditions. Like no one's you're not in getting, a back alley. Yeah, you're not getting walk up traffic. I don't like yeah. there might have been a sign like a chalkboard sign on the street or there something. Was. Yeah, yeah, that was that was your signage, but yet I remember those early days of sauce seeing pictures on on facebook and instagram and it was just like whoa i don't know what this is i don't know where it is i don't know how to get it but i need this food how did you in this obscure location build a following that started to become just really loyal and passionate well a lot of that was because of stacy winter you're going to give a shout out to stacy i'm going to i'm absolutely going to do it because omaha food lovers is an integral part to the success to small business, restaurant businesses in this community. And without his dedication to making sure that people are aware of the great businesses that are in this Omaha area, people wouldn't have known about us. And I give a huge respect to OFL and, and Stacy and all, and all the moderators and the people that have to spend time on that. And without that, um, we might still be there and no one might, people might not know about us. So I don't think I, I I'm thankful. I, I don't think I would know about you. I, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many restaurants I've gone to that I wouldn't have even heard about, or I wouldn't have thought to visit without Omaha food lovers. So Seriously, it's, that, it's that, a thank you deal. comes from me as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you said the original goal was always to get to Papillion. H how did that opportunity arise? And when it did, what was that emotion like for you? I mean, it was super good, super good emotion. So um, Kate and Dan, they own Twisted Vine, and we had done pop-ups for them when we were still doing, like, the pop-ups at the farmer's market and stuff. We would go in on music bingo nights and um, bring in our, our trays. They would have little tables for us, and we would serve guests there on a pretty small scale. And um, so, but through that, we got to build a relationship with them, and we knew about them, and and they knew that we were in Louisville when the uh, our lo current location opened up. They went to Louisville to have dinner and see what our food was like. And then they were like, they approached me. And, and the timing was just incredible because when their place was opening, our lease was ending. And it just happened. Wow. Right? That's pretty incredible. Absolutely. 
Um, so, I mean, we're, we're talking about a lot of success. You finally move into your space. Like this is super exciting. People are having a chance to eat your food. And, and that's something I, I love talking to chefs about, especially those who start with, with pop-ups or small restaurants is it's one thing to, to serve to go food or, you know, especially during the pandemic to do a lot of takeout orders and stuff. Mm-hmm. And people can send you social media messages and say, Hey, the food was great. And I'm sure that feels good. But when you have your own restaurant and you have your own space and you get to see people in the dining room and they're taking that first bite and their eyes are getting big, like that's my favorite. Well, t- tell me about that moment. Like, how rewarding is that oh, it's so to cool. actually get to see people eat your food? Oh, my gosh. It's it's my favorite thing. In fact, it's a rule on our team and at home. Um, if I make something hot for you, like you have to take a bite while it's hot so I can this is so weird, but just I can see like the pleasure <laughs> of them eating. Make sure they're happy. And when it's your customers, like I said, people spend their hard-earned money like on your food, like knowing that they're happy or seeing the eyes roll back in there. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so good. It like, it's the best thing ever. Or because we have those little windows, if you haven't been to Sauce, we have a couple windows where you can see into this little kitchen that we're cooking in. And people will be like, chef, great that was amazing we loved it and i and it's just like it's so humbling it's so awesome and it's just like it never gets old it's it is every day i look forward to someone that takes the time to be like man that was great and sometimes sometimes they even like say explicit customers which is just even funnier and awesome like it'll be like at their table and like oh and they'll say something that they can't I can't say on here but you know (laughs) and it's just like they're they're just genuinely enjoying it and they're happy and and it just it's awesome and it just makes you cook with that much more joy and love like when you know that they're enjoying it like that just seeing your face right now am I blushing I I don't think you're blushing you're just so happy Oh, like so just happy. the the memories of seeing people eat your food, like it, you can tell. Oh, it's so cool. You're not somebody who's taken a frozen burger patty and thrown it on the grill. Yeah. That like that. This shows the passion right here. Awesome. So. Oh, that's what's called. It's not awkward. It's passion. Yes, it's Great. passion, not awkward. Super. <laughs> so we we've talked about so much positive, and there is so much positive, but there was also kind of a bump in the road. Uh, last fall, you had a series of health scares. Um, you went into the hospital, you ended up having to have some uh, some blood and some iron transfusions, and then it was discovered that you had cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. I, just, I can't even imagine what that moment was like for you because you've worked so hard mm-hmm. to have this dream of having a restaurant, and now you have it, and everyone's loving it. Everything is going great, and then all this momentum, and bam, you just run right into a brick wall. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? It was hard. Um, You know, I guess I'll start with there had been signs way before November that I started not feeling well that I kind of just ignored and kept going. So I would just encourage anybody that maybe doesn't feel quite like themselves not to ignore it and go and and get checked out and and all of those things. But by the time November came, I was I was pretty sick and I I couldn't even walk upstairs without feeling like I was you know, going to faint. Um, and it, it, I can't really even describe it. It's just totally not myself at all. And um, I went to the doctor, they took some blood and they they called me that night and made me go to the emergency room. I was critically low on my iron. I had to have some two iron transfusions. Nope, 
I said that wrong, two blood transfusions, four iron transfusions, and was in the hospital for a few days and got released and then had to get put back in the hospital because they had infil- my veins were infiltrated with the iron. So then I got a bacterial infection. And in this time, that's when they found um, some tumors and things. And, and they were very much in the thinking of that they were going to be benign and all that. And they were pretty big. And so uh, come February, I had to have those removed. And then it was discovered that I that I had cancer and um, all of that. So we shared our story online. And um, we just received an overwhelming response of prayer and encouragement. And women that were going through the same battle or a different version of the cancer battle reached out to me. Um, and it was just like, wow, this is what this is like where people you don't even know are taking time to message you and pray for you and all of those things. And I think one of the most difficult parts of it, honestly, was telling my family and my, my two older kiddos. That was really, really hard, but, you know, we stayed diligent in in our prayer and in trusting that God was in control no matter the outcome. And um, I'm happy to say I'm cancer-free. Yeah. Yay. So so you mentioned that you you shared about it on social media. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that to be very interesting because obviously when you're going through something this tough, it, it's very personal. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's terrifying. You know, you're not quite sure how to respond, how to react. Why did you choose to share that with the world? My daughter asked me that question too. And my response to it was just really simple of if my story can impact one person, then it's worth sharing. And so it was pretty clear from the abundance of messages I got that that was something that, that people were not needing, but it helped them some, and then they were helping me also. Like when I was in the hospital and I was reading all of these comments, like, you know, it was just, it was just really heartwarming to have people that I didn't know care about me so much. And, um, I just really thankful for that. And, um, I just hope that that when someone someone reads that, I've always been really transparent with my customers um, because they, a lot of them become like family, you know, and I recognize them and, and care about them and all of that. And so if I wasn't going to be there for a long time, I kind of felt like I needed them to know why. And also I wasn't expecting ever to hear that word. And so it's kind of like, yeah, if, if my story would maybe someone goes and gets checked or maybe they're going through it and, and they are scared to know that they're not alone. Like, you know, we could go through it together and all those things. So, yeah, I thought it was I needed to share it. Well, I thank you for doing that. I think it was incredibly brave. and I think it was inspiring for a lot of people, especially now that we're on the other side and yeah. it's positive and we can yeah. we can just not have to worry about that anymore. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the awesome team that you built and how that was so critical to the success of the restaurant. How did Joe and the rest of the team step up in your absence? Oh, man, they stepped up so big. I I don't know how they they did it. They did, but they did it. 
and they all worked so many extra hours. I mean, we're talking, you guys, some of them are teenage kids. We have guys that have teenagers, like it's hard to get them to put dishes away. Like <laughs> they stepped up, they worked their tail off. They wanted to make sure that we were taking care of. My husband handled everything. I didn't have to worry at all. And my sous chef, Tara, man, and Laura, everybody, they, they stepped up big time to do all of the prep they had been trained for and some of them parts that they hadn't been trained for but they were and they learned and they just absolutely knocked it out of the park like I had biggest appreciation to them like they they all every single one of them stepped up from dishwasher like they they all put in it was just crazy yeah beautiful thing honestly they just they just rocked it when you get the clean diagnosis and you get to get back in the kitchen what what was that like for you oh man that was a party in my head anyway (laughs) it was just awesome because you know you you start going back slowly but surely last week was my first full-time week that I went back I don't officially get clearance until hopefully the 16th of this month but I went back and I and it just you're just happy. I'm always dancing back there, singing in air quotes for those of you that can't see me because I can't sing at all. But I'm just, it just brings such joy for me to be in there and to be with my team and cooking and putting out food that I'm proud of and, and all that. But to be, to be back after going through such a weird obstacle in my life, like, yeah, it's really cool. Really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I am eternally grateful that, that you're healthy now and you're, and you're back mostly because you're just an awesome person and I love being able to spend time with you, but B, because now I get to have your food again. And <laughs> it is unbelievable. This is that part in the podcast where I just, if you haven't been to sauce, you just, you have to go. It doesn't matter if the wait time is long or if a certain item is so it doesn't matter what you order. Like there are dishes that I like more than others, but they're all great. This is an opportunity to get something that's scratch made that is made with heart by someone who truly cares about every person who walks through that door. So please go to Sauced if you haven't. And if you have, then you know what I'm talking about and just go back because you should. Thank you. <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much for yeah. taking this time to to not not only take the time, but to come on the first live pot. Who knew how this thing was going to go? I think it went decent, but we don't really know. Thank you so much. So thank you for Absolutely. Th- for doing this. Thank you for being the game pig. Thank you for having me. First of all, what an honor to be here and be in front of all of you guys. Um, just absolutely incredible. And Dan, you are just the best. We we love you over at Sauce. You have such an impact on small businesses too, and your dedication to even using the descriptive words to talk about food. My goodness, like it you're just you just stand above like they're you're just awesome all all i do is take pictures and write you're the one who actually puts the dish together i just stuff my face with it so i'll take a tiny bit of the credit you get the lion's share oh thank you so thank you and thank you to everyone who came out tonight and i don't know how many of you have been to a live podcast probably none you had no idea what to expect but thank you so much for for just coming out this was a lot of fun and i appreciate every single one of you And I appreciate every single one of you listeners. And that's why I got to say it just like always. Omaha, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.